Warning, this episode contains brain food that will lead to improved emotional and social intelligence. Give us one hour and we'll help you change the way you think about happiness. Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress-Kamen is fresh, optimistic, and purpose-driven media that promotes well-being from the inside out. Each week, Lisa spotlights diverse trendsetters and change agents who are the greatest contemporary thinkers and doers, devoting their lives to creating a better world in which to live. Your host, Lisa Cypress-Kamen, is a widely recognized applied positive psychology expert, author, documentary filmmaker, and lecturer specializing in optimal lifestyle management. Let's get to it. Here's Lisa. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, wherever you are. Thanks for joining us on today's show, where you will learn about cultivating the courage to change and breaking destructive cycles that bind us. It's an interesting time that we're all experiencing. Change is the only guarantee, and we certainly are challenged with the need to adjust to a new normal. So today I'm talking with Ken D. Foster on the subject of courage. Let's join that conversation. Ken has spent more than 21 years empowering entrepreneurs, business owners, and executives to stretch out of their comfort zones. He is an expert in the field of business development and marketing. Ken is an influential voice in workplace trends, helping countless numbers of clients execute management strategies, vision, and values to create sustainable business growth. He is also the host of Voices of Courage, a syndicated radio show in more than 160 countries. Welcome, Ken. Thanks for joining us on the show. Well, I really appreciate you having me today. Ken, let's talk about challenges, that challenges are just a fact of life and a part of it. But it's what we do to overcome those challenges that is the mark of the hero or the shiro. Well, it sure is. And, uh, you know, let, let's face it. Everybody has problems. Everybody has challenges. And, you know, some have more than others. Some get their a little a double dose of challenges. But what I found over the years as a business strategist and a uh, life coach strategist is that any time we focus our attention on whatever that is that we are choosing to overcome, that we can do it. Right. We can do it. I'm sure you've experienced that, too. But what gets in our way? A lot of times what gets in our way is, first of all, being receptive to change. So a lot of times we're not just receptive to opening up to, to realizing that, yes, I'm going to have to change something. And so when that happens, it's like uh, we if we're, if we're not receptive to that, we'll stay in the same place over and over and over again. But the there is a bridge that we can use to overcome challenges. And that bridge I write about exclusively in my latest book, The Courage to Change Everything. And of course, it is courage. See, courage is the gap, is the bridge between challenges and success. It's the bridge between oh, poor relationships and great relationships. It's the, the bridge between uh, not having a lot of money and having the money that you need when you need it. So that's what we need to tune into. And I will say this, Lisa, you know, a lot of people think that courage is like running into a burning business or being a first responder. But I want to say this courage is really a feeling. It's a vibration. It's an energy. And when we tune into it, it can push us past any personal limitations 
so that we can transcend the difficulties in our business and life. Well, when we talk about courage, not all of us are Captain Courageous, right? Not all of us are born with inherent courage. And in my view, what it takes to be courageous is a willingness to risk and fail. That's true. It is a willingness to risk and fail. And it's it's a willingness also, I think, to see the unseeable, things that we haven't seen before, know things that we haven't known before, and do things we've never been able to do before. And to be able to do that, courage is the key. So, you know, listen, fear, we all, you know, everybody has certain fears they fear, feel sometimes. And fear has a feeling, doesn't it? It feels like, oh, gosh, maybe, the, you know, your, your heart constricts or your, your, uh, you get tired or your mind shuts down. You know, fear has a lot of ways it kind of manifests in the body and we feel it. Well, courage has a feeling, too. And, when, and you're right. A lot of people have um, undeveloped courage. So everybody's born with courage, but it doesn't mean it's developed in each person. So the first thing I recommend is start to, when you, when you have a moment, just ask yourself a simple question. If I was courageous, what would I do now? Or what would I do today? Or if I was courageous, give me three, let me, let me take three steps towards overcoming what the challenge is. When you ask that question, just for a moment, feel in your body what it might feel feel like to be courageous because courage, courage does have a feeling. And that feeling is all of a sudden your, your mind starts to work in, uh, it's just to light up. We start to raise our consciousness. We start to feel empowered in our body. When you start to feel that, that is courage. And if you want you, you to develop it, what I say is find something you've never done before or something that you're a little afraid of and walk into that with small steps you'll start to feel courage. And when you start to build that courage muscle, your life will get better and better. So what I'm hearing you say is that courage, yes, there's a feeling of being courageous, but that really it's a verb, it's an action. It's in the doing. Courage, the, the feeling comes in the action. That's exactly right. I, I love that you pointed that out, Lisa. So if you're just sitting there and you're, you're trying to feel courage when you're afraid, Unless you really developed, uh, you really practice this for a while, that's probably not going to happen. But where it comes is like you just said, you take you take a couple steps towards whatever that is. You know, for me, I, I was meditating about, oh, maybe six, seven years ago. And in that meditation, I was asking, what's my next step? And the word courage came in. And I, and I started then thinking about it. And I thought, well, courage, you know, it, it was hard for me to even think about courage because that's something that I've had in my life, my whole life. I came in that way. And it's like a fish swimming in water. When you're courageous and you're doing things courageous all the time, it doesn't seem like um, there's anything to it. But then when I really thought about it, like you said earlier on, you know, there's a lot of folks out there that it's it's difficult to do things that are that are challenging to them or they haven't done before. It may be difficult to have a courageous conversation with a, a relationship that's not working. It may be difficult to have a a talk with your boss. It may be difficult to just kind of look at yourself and say, you know, dispassionately look and say, what's working, what's not working, what can I improve upon? It takes courage to to play the inner game to tune into the inner self. But, you know, with practice, 
courage comes very naturally. It may take a while, but it, it does come naturally after a while. Do you think that courage is a result of trial and error? In other words, you run the experiment with something that you, you might feel uncomfortable doing or slightly anxious in doing, and then you get a slightly positive result, if not a really good result. And you're like, oh, yeah, now I got this. And so there's proof positive, which then encourages, and the word courage is in encouragement, right, to us to move forward and continue. I think there's a lot to that. It, it reminds me of a story. So I was in Arizona. And I was going through the painted desert at the time. And I was all by myself. I was in my car and driving. It was a warm day. It was beautiful. And I saw this, this hill in the, in the foreground. I thought, oh, I should go up on that hill. I'll be able to see the whole painted desert if I get up on top of that. And I, and I drove my car. Somehow I got on the top of this, this little hill. And um, I went to go and walk towards the edge to see uh, what was over the edge. And, and what I started to approach the edge, and all of a sudden I had this tremendous fear. And in that moment, being alone, I thought, oh, you know, if I, if I get too close, I could fall. Nobody would ever find me out here. I'm in the middle of nowhere. And all these thoughts started coming in. And then I realized, oh, this is the same fear I felt every time I get close to the edge. And I thought, you know, I'm going to not do this. I'm going to go and take steps towards the edge. And I got on my hands and knees. I crawled to the edge. Mm. And, I, and I said to myself, you know what? I'm going to sit on this edge until this feeling passes. And I prayed about it. And I asked God to help me with this. And about 10 minutes into it, I felt this peace come on me. I was able to stand up and turn around and walk away from it. Never to have that feeling of uh, heights again in my life. And I want to say this. The point of this is this. When we feel afraid of something, when we take those steps to the end, you know, I, it was courageous steps I took, but I was still feeling fear. Where the courage kept it kicked in for me was when I finally put my feet over the edge and I just stood there and made the commitment, I'm going to stay there till this passes. That took courage. And that that's when it kicked in. And that's when it courage, I guess, is the bridge to freedom from being a slave to this habit to, uh, of uh, feeling that fear to freedom of not having a fear of heights again. You know, as you're speaking, I, I'm thinking about the paradox of change, right? That it requires courage to change. And yet we are, as humans, so fearful of change. Isn't that funny? What is that about? You know, change is what we want. You know, when, when something's not working for us, when uh, if you're an entrepreneur and all of a sudden your re revenues aren't there or you're, you're, somebody's failed you in business or you're in uh, your personal relationship and all of a sudden, you know, you, you've realized that this relationship is just not working no matter what you do. Or you're in a place where um, your health is failing and you're like, well, you know, I've tried, I've, I've gone to the, uh, the, the MDs and they've all told me I'm, it's hopeless. And you, you say, wait a second. You know, there's something greater inside of me. There's, there's this inner wisdom. There's this power. There's this passion. You know, we were all born. We're infinite beings. <laughs> and as an infinite being, we have the power to, to transcend just about anything. I've had on my show, and you probably had a bunch of them on your show, Lisa, so many people that have had uh, near-death experiences 
and have uh, failed in their business tremendously, have bankrupt them, themselves, their relationships have failed, two and three marriages. And then all of a sudden, they said, enough. I'm going to find the courage. I'm going to step into it. And I'm going to make the change that I need to make to take my business or my life to a completely new level. I know it's possible. Other people have done it. What another has done, I can do. And that's when we step into courage because it takes courage to go, I'm going to do this. And what are the ingredients, or at least a couple, give us maybe one and then we'll head out to the break, towards crafting or mustering more courage? Okay. Give us one step and, the then we'll, and then we'll dash to the great, the break. Okay. All right. So first step is to go to stillness. Quiet your mind for a moment and ask yourself a truthful question. What's really working or not working in my life? Focus uh-huh. on what's not working dispassionately. We'll come back with the rest. Oh, yes, we will. So shush, time out. Hang on. Here comes the break. We'll be right back. To learn more sure. about the work of Kenneth D. Foster, please visit VoicesOfCourage.us and on Twitter at Kenneth Foster and on Facebook, Ken D. Foster. And on Instagram, we've got one more, Courage to Change. Once again, that website is CourageToChange.us. Here comes the break. We'll be right back. And that is a promise. Before we head out to the break, I want to applaud all the sheroes out there in the world. I'm talking about our mothers and all the other women who positively touch our lives in so many ways. Mother's Day is just around the corner and finding the perfect present for mom feels a little daunting just about now. This year, I will not have the luxury of being able to celebrate with my own mom or my kids. COVID-19, social distancing, and quarantine life in major cities is preventing that close physical contact we crave, but it's keeping us safe and healthy for the long haul. And that's why today's show sponsor, StoryWorth, is making it fun and easy to celebrate our moms and for them to share their stories with us. StoryWorth is a great way to stay in touch with family and helps bridge geographic distance by providing lively and inspiring discussion topics. Now more than ever, we need to find creative and secure ways to be connected when we can't always be near our loved ones. And I know more than anything, parents cherish spending quality time with family. And that's why I'm giving my mom the most meaningful gift this year, a chance to connect with loved ones through StoryWorth. StoryWorth makes gift giving hassle-free from the comfort and security of your home. StoryWorth is one of the easiest and most creative ways to strengthen bonds with family, preserve memories, take a deep dive into family history, and create a precious keepsake for our children and future generations. Purchase a subscription for someone you love, and each week, StoryWorth will email a meaningful question designed to elicit entertaining, surprising, and sometimes moving responses. At the end of the year, your loved one's stories and photos will be bound into a beautiful hardcover printed keepsake book that will be a treasure for generations to come. And here's a great perk for our listeners. You will receive $10 off your subscription at storyworth.com slash HH. Learn more about those you love at storyworth.com slash HH and get $10 off your subscription. Storyworth makes priceless gifts that will keep on giving. Now here comes the break. We'll be right back. To learn more about cultivating sustainable well-being at home and the office, visit harvestinghappiness.com and explore Lisa's experiential on-site brain fitness workshops corporate programming, and speaking engagement services. Happiness, 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 
are back. If you're just joining us now, I'm talking with Kendi Foster about the courage required to embrace change. Let's get back to that conversation. Ken, prior to the break, we were talking about step one to mustering more courage. And you talk about taking a pause, hitting the pause button and doing a little bit of assessment. Expand on that and maybe step into a couple more points. Sure. Love to. Okay. So that introspective part is so key. So step one is introspection. What what works, what doesn't work, and where can I improve? Okay. That improve piece is the piece that you want to go, okay, I'm going to commit to this. So step two, of course, is making the commitment, right? Now, with commitment, I find this. A lot of people make a commitment and they either forget it (laughs) if they don't write it down or they just move on to something else. So it's important to really write down that commitment with maybe even a time frame as to when this is going to happen for you. Third step is to tune into what is, I would ask you this to ask yourself this question. What is your greatest strength or think about your greatest strength that you've used to overcome a challenge in the past, whatever that is. Okay. Tune into that. And Then the next step is to visualize. Visualize yourself accomplishing, overcoming this. Don't do it one time. Do it every day for the next 10 days, 20 days until you move past it. See yourself as it already being accomplished, already being complete. Now, it's not enough to just see it or think it. You have to feel it. Feel it in your body. This is where courage comes in. If you can start to feel Wow, what does it feel like to have overcome this great obstacle, whatever that is for you, in my life right now? What would it feel like if I was really on the other side of that? What would I say to myself? What would people be saying to me if I overcame this challenge? And then the next step is really every day you want to take specific actions around that. Now, in my book, the new book uh, out, uh, The Courage to Change Everything, One of the things uh, that I've found over the many years is that, and and this is after studying the success principles from just about every success guru out there in the West, and also studying the, I would say, profound wisdom from the East. And what I found is that if we drip on our mind, and drip is the word, every day, astute wisdom, and we combine that with proven wealth principles, and then take daily actions, we will eventually overcome just about anything in our life. I mean, it's incredible what the mind can do. You remember this, the mind is the cause of our bondage, and the mind is the cause of our liberation. Now, that's not an original quote from me. That came from one of the um, teachers of the East. But when I really thought about that, yes, Mind over emotions, right? What you think you feel. Mm. Emotions over action. What you what you feel you act on. Actions over results and results over destiny. Well, I mean, I think when we go back to the mind, though, I'm going to just ask you to sort of rewind for a second here because the, the mind being so powerful that oftentimes we believe everything that we think and feel. And the reality is thoughts and feelings are not facts. So we kind of get mired up into that, right? Yeah. Well, I've been a meditator for decades. And, you know, one of the first pieces that I I got when I was meditating was that I was not my mind. I was observer of the mind and I have all these thoughts going by. 
And thoughts are kind of like birds flying overhead is a good analogy. So if a bird lands on your head, right? Yeah, if they're just flying by, nothing you can do about it. But if they land and start to nest on your head, you know, you're going to get rid of that, right? Well, it's the same thing with thoughts. Now, if you got, let's just talk about negative thoughts, because maybe positive thoughts, you want to nest in your mind and stay there, right? But negative thoughts, if they start to come and and attach themselves to you, it's most likely because you have a fear of something. It's a fear of, and i write this down. This is important. It's a fear of not getting what you want. If you can write, you know, if you're not traveling in a car, it's a fear of what you, <laughs> not getting what you want or the fear of losing what you have. And I want you to think about that. Okay. Cause just about every fear is, is uh, tuned into those two fears, the fear of not getting what you want or the fear of losing what you have. So here's the thing with fear and with, uh, with any other thought, you know, success is also, uh, will go on the other side that well, courage, let's use courage, fear and courage. If I were to interview a person that is in their fear right now, okay, and, they, they, and I said, hey, tell me what the thoughts are you're having around this particular fear. And let's say it's the fear of failure just for kicks. And they start to say, well, you know, um, I've, I've failed in the past. I've, I've never been a success. Things fall apart for me. I, you know, I, I don't think I have what it takes. I'm not strong enough, smart enough, uh, uh, whatever. Those thoughts that they're tuning into. If I go to China and I interview somebody in China and I start to ask them, um, and maybe it's a cultural thing, but you would think that they would have different thoughts, but it's not. See, if I interview them, they're going to have the same, that that has the same issue. They're going to have the same thoughts going on. How interesting is that? So what we found is that thought is not individual. Thought is universal. So therefore, if you really grasp this, right, and thought is an energy, thought is a word has a vibration to it. So if you're tuning in to uh, the vibrations, the thoughts of fear, you're, you're tuning into a, a database that's just downloading this in your, in your mind. I think you can relate to this because haven't, you know, I'm, I'm talking to the audience right now. Haven't we all been in a place where all of a sudden, you know, you're, you're afraid of this and those same thoughts keep coming into you. You're like, wow, this is weird. And then all of a sudden you say, I'm going to shift that. I, I don't believe this anymore. I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to go over here and believe uh, that, you know, there's hope for me. And all of a sudden hope. Well, if I was hopeful, what, what would come in? Now, if I take it to another level, if I was courageous, if I was courageous, what thoughts would start to flow into your mind? The mind is a, a wonderful tool. And as the observer of the mind, because the mind is just a tool, we're the chooser. So the observer is the chooser. We get to choose what thoughts we're going to focus on, what we're going to put our mind onto, where we're going to t- what we're going to take action. We're the chooser, right? So I think I think that's a good discussion to have around that, Lisa. Well, you know, I go back to the action part of it because when we are in action, when we're taking steps towards making changes in our lives, we're we're out of thought and we're out of feeling. We're in the doing. So. To me, that is a good place to start when we're trying to muster courage. But the other thing I wanted to ask you about, I'm curious about, is the outsourcing of support. Because none of us is an island. None of us is able to do what we do solely alone. You know, either whether it's in our successes or our failures, right? It takes a village, you know, for us to be. 
It does take a village, and thanks for bringing that up. Um, today, when a person uh, goes to the CourageToChange.us and purchases the book, one of the things that I've created as a bonus for buying the book is um, uh, I call them Courage Clubs. But what it is, is, um, and this is free for the people that are listening right now, back in about seven, eight years ago, I wanted to become a best-selling author. And I thought, how am I going to do this? I, I don't know how to do this. So I put together a team around me. And um, I uh, put together people like uh, John Asraf from The Secret and uh, Stephen Covey, Debbie Ford, Ariel Ford, who'd sold a half million books at the time. Uh, let's see, Peggy Lebo, or I mean, Peggy McCall, who'd sold maybe I don't know, 100,000 books at the time. And Tim Ferriss. I put together this amazing group. And we met for a year, about a half hour uh, every every week. Some people didn't make every week, but I was there every week because I was the founder and I put it together. And the goal was to sell a million books. Now, out of that group over, over the last six, seven years, all of them but two of them have sold over a million books and they weren't there at the time. So the power of community coming together and understanding how to do that is important. But what's even more important, because I've been involved in a lot of groups and we didn't go anywhere, is having the exact strategy of how to not only put the group together, but to get the results like I just told you about. And that's what I'm offering. I'm giving uh, 10, there's 10 videos involved to teach people exactly how to put together what I call a courage club. So that they can meet, but not only uh, clearly identify who they need to put in their group, but also to be able to put the structure in place to meet a half hour a week. That's all we met, half hour a week. And uh, to be able to manifest their dreams by using the power of each other, right? Gosh, Dr. Sue Morton, I think it is. She wrote a book called Energy Codes. I'm getting her confused with another one, Power of Eight. And I forgot who wrote that. But in that book, it talks about and there's science now around what happens when we come together in group and hold intention for each other. It's amazing. Miraculous things happen to people that uh, are just common folks like me, me and you. And anyway, that's what, that's what the structure is built. So when you buy the book, you do get that. You also get a, a clearing technique from me. It's called Release, Renew, Evolve. It's uh, right now I'm giving it away when somebody buys the book. Wonderful. And uh, it's a $200 program that I uh, created a few years back that uh, helped people to um, release the subconscious blocks to their success. Courage Seekers can unite over at CourageToChange.us. On Twitter, you can connect with Ken at Kenneth Foster. On Facebook, that page is Ken D. Foster one And on Instagram, that handle is Voices of Courage show. Ken, thanks for joining me on the show. Lisa, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate you. I appreciate all you're doing. And again, thank you. Thank you. Did you know that happiness is actually good for your health? Happy people live longer, are more productive, and make better partners, parents, and professionals. Connect with us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness and follow Lisa on Twitter at Lisa Kamen for a daily dose of inspiration.
welcome back. We're talking about cultivating the courage to change and breaking destructive cycles that bind us. My next guests are doing just that. They are training people to pop their patterns, to break these destructive cycles. And I can't think of a better time to really look in the mirror and say, wow, there's a lot changing out there. How can I best manage myself to adapt and change with what's going on outside there in the world and with inside myself. My guests today are Dr. Seth Kadish and Terry Jensen, MFT. Dr. Seth C. Kadish, PsyD, is the author of Pop Your Patterns, The No-Nonsense Way to Change Your Life. He is the creator of Pattern Identification and Reduction Therapy, a clinical approach based on his work in prisons, group homes, private practice, and treatment centers in the Southern California area. And his colleague in this unique video series is Terry Jensen, MFT. She is a licensed marriage and family therapist with additional training in various modalities. She also works as a clinical specialist at UCLA NPI in the Department of Behavioral Health Services and is the founder of Insight and Wellness Urban Retreats and Wellness Coaching. Welcome, Seth and Terry. Thanks for joining us on the show. Thank you, Lisa. Glad to be here. Well, I'm really happy to have you guys (laughs) because all of us have relationships with people with whom we might want to shift some of the relationship dynamic or the pattern in them. So I'd love for you to talk about the pattern work and how we can identify some of these patterns that we find ourselves in. Mm-hmm. I'll jump in on this one, okay, Terry. Okay, great. Okay. So I think that, well, certainly let's start by saying that we all have negative patterns of thought, emotion, and behavior. They impact our lives, and we're not typically aware of it. So I think, Lisa, the best way of discovering what the patterns are would be ideally with professional help, a licensed clinician, a life coach, a sponsor, and so forth. But we also provide ways uh, in our videos that the viewer can learn to identify his or her own patterns. Another way to know if you have a pattern is if you're a common denominator in a lot of like uh, maybe dysfunction or things not going well. And then you kind of have to look at yourself and uh, try to figure out what might be going on. That's another way just to say, why am I having all these like interpersonal struggles? Mm-hmm. Can we give a, a fun, concrete example? It's kind of a train wreck example, but sometimes people will continue to attract the same kind of characters as their romantic partners. Right. And, you know, the, the train wreck, right? Oh, the one that, that <laughs> you know, is uh, the, we put ourselves in the fixer role. And I guess we then have to ask, what is the common denominator? Is it the people are lousy or is it something in us? Well, it's a, usually it's co-created, but unconsciously we can be drawn to things that are familiar to us. So if maybe I had like an unavailable father, I was used to caretaking or over-accommodating or, or something to like get my needs met. And then maybe I find an unavailable partner because it's familiar. And maybe that partner's stuff then kind of connects with my stuff and they're used to kind of sinking away or it, you can also get like attachment stuff mixed in there, but it can, it can play out exactly like you just said, where you keep recapitulating something you don't know, know why. So bringing awareness to it is really helpful because then you can change it. Let me piggyback that for one second. Yeah. Because Terry touched on what is probably the hallmark of all the pattern work, which is we do the patterns over and over again because they're familiar. And even if something is uh, problematic and hurts us, 
the familiarity draws us in. We're attracted to that, and we just you know, we can't stop ourselves. And it's very much, in that sense, like an addiction. Yeah, very very akin to addiction. But it's the devil we know, right? Oftentimes Correct. we'll find ourselves in these dynamics that c- continue to replicate themselves because it's familiar, and even the discomfort becomes the comfort zone. Exactly. In a twisted exactly. way. <laughs> yes, right. And that's what we know, and that's what we go for. The devil we know. Well put. So let's let's talk about some common patterns that you encounter in your work. We've talked mm-hmm. about the pleaser. Let me, let me give you what, what, what I think we see as the top three. Yes. Speaking in general terms, but the number one problem pattern, the most devastating and widespread pattern is shame. Shame. So the person who doesn't feel good enough about themselves because uh, somebody mired in shame will, I, I mean, look, it results in drug and alcohol use, suicidal thinking, poor self-care. So, so that's number one. The, the other one that comes up uh, with frequency, and Terry touched on it, is the people-pleasing slash caretaking, which kind of loosely falls under the umbrella of codependency. And the third one, I would say, is suppression of thoughts and feelings. A lot of people walking around all bottled up, and we know that leads to depression, anxiety, and all sorts of odd or eccentric behaviors. So avoidant, like emotionally avoidant? Well, yeah, yeah like it's... Well, you're actually describing almost like one end of it being like the anxious attachment that needs like reassurance that the relationship's intact and the other person being more the avoidant. And when those two get together, they can even become more magnified. And so that's mm-hmm. another thing that can happen as well, but both extremes. Mm-hmm. So when you, once one has begun to see a little bit of this pattern work emerge or a pattern, you know, tracking in our relationships, what kinds of interventions do you give clients to help diminish them? Well, the simple answer is simple interventions. So we don't want to do anything too complex because we know a people will not do it. I mean, it's, it's hard enough to get people to stick with an intervention anyway. So just to give you an example, a core intervention for the shame work, since I alluded to how, uh, how problematic and even tragic shame can be, would be to have the person one uh, for one minute a day, that's all, just look at themselves in the mirror, making eye contact with themselves, so looking into their eyes for one minute a day. And then if they care to, they can either write down what they see or they can uh, give themselves some kind of positive affirmation, even, again, a very simple and concrete one. And that will help diminish shame. What I love about what you just shared is that it doesn't require anything but one's own inner resource mm-hmm. and a willingness mm-hmm. to play, because it might be awkward, and a little bit uncomfortable. You know, the first time I ever did this was many, many years ago uh, at a different treatment center I was at at the time. And, you know, Lisa, I thought it was going to be nothing. And I had a group of clients stand one at a time in front of a full length mirror and do what I thought was, again, a simple exercise. I had done it for myself. That's how I knew it would work. And out of that group of people, one of them literally started retching and another one ran out of the room. So (sighs) it's simple on the face of it, but it can be earth shattering if the person has not made true contact with themselves. Okay. I also love that intervention because it's literally having to like look at yourself and even that can be uncomfortable. And like Seth had said earlier with shame, that's also often a fuel for like addiction. So we often do that in, in silence or hidden and it just keeps feeding 
the shame. And so that's a really hard one to identify because it can be very like insidious or subtle the way that it comes out. But it's usually like the little beast that's behind like low self-esteem or um, avoidance of relationships and all these other things. And so even just that simple exercise can be really helpful or even just increasing self-compassion, finding one little thing you're willing to say to yourself that's kind. Because usually when you have a lot of shame, you're tearing yourself up. And first, when you start with more balanced, positive thoughts, it can feel very foreign and weird. And so it's actually a practice of like rewiring your brain, being able to be kinder and look at yourself in the mirror and all those things to diminish the pattern. Let's move on to the number two, the people pleaser. Oh, (laughs) you take that that one, Terry. Go ahead. Well, just a great intervention for people pleasing. As with all the patterns, mindfulness is key because if you can actually, once you identify you have a pattern and then you see it in real time, you can then work to change it. So a simple intervention for people pleasing, well, it's not so simple if you're over accommodator, but basically it's noticing when you're overly accommodating and kind of stopping and checking in with yourself and really asking yourself, what do you want. And it could be as simple as saying, you know what, I'd actually like to go out for Italian food tonight and and not sushi when normally you just go along with stuff. It's like letting yourself exist a little bit more. And that can be very uncomfortable, but it's literally finding those moments to assert your needs instead of just automatically accommodating because that then creates a power imbalance in any relationship when one's always asserting and the other one's always submitting or whatever. Just on the heels of what Terry said, exactly. It's very important to teach the client, which we do, to say no, to say no appropriately. Back in the day when I was working with probation girls, something that I had them do besides saying no, again, appropriately, was to literally put their hands out in front of themselves with palms facing toward the other person to give themselves, their consciousness, the message that it's okay to say no to other people because the over-accommodators simply can't do it, feels terrible guilt at ever saying no to any request at all. I think that's great. You know, creating the barrier, creating the space, the boundary that says, no, no, you're not coming past that point. Right, right. I like that a lot. Yeah. Can you, both of you, address where the people pleaser comes from? (laughs) <laughs> sure. I, I, can. I think we all, we all, yeah, we all have it to a degree, all, you know? We do. We do. We do. I think obviously most of these patterns start in childhood. So a very obvious example would be having like a more of a narcissistic caregiving surround where you become like an extension of your caregiver. And then to get your needs met, you have to over accommodate and to go off of what is expected of you brings up actually shame, which is the other pattern we identified. And so over and over again, you get used to just kind of going along with and you wall off your own needs and that can cause a lot of distress. So a lot of these patterns are survival during childhood and then they become like maladaptive as we launch and go out into the, mm-hmm. the world. Um, yeah, they, exactly. They start off with the best of intentions and they're very helpful at first. That's the thing people miss. Uh, like Terry said, they're survival mechanisms. Yeah. And then they simply go awry. That's the problem. I I would also add to uh, what you were saying, Terry, about the uh, genesis or origins of the people-pleasing. We often find in our work that the person's parent was or is alcoholic, depressive, violent. I always think of the word soothing or placating that upset parent. And so we just learn to people-please, and it becomes a way of life that, of course, helped us 
navigate uh, you know the rocky shoals of a difficult childhood. But what we always say is what the person does at age four becomes problematic and toxic at 14, 34, 54, and, and so on. Yeah, that, that makes perfect sense. And when we talk about the neg- negative patterns and their emergence, they typically form when we're really, really little, right? You say between one mm-hmm. and five years old. So we yes. learn this way of being so much so that it becomes concretized within our DNA. Right, right. Concretize is a perfect word. And we can't seem to shake it. The thing is, we, we don't even see it. What we uh, discover, and again, Terry, you had touched on this way earlier, is repetition of problematic relationship. It could be job failure, financial, lack of financial success. And Lisa, to tie it in with your work, the person simply feels unhappy and yeah. they, they can't put their finger on exactly why. They only know it doesn't work out for them. So we're always borrowing under the surface to look at the pattern or patterns that, by the way, link together where you find one, you'll find a couple that kind of gravitate toward each other. And help the person, again, get some equanimity, some happiness, some uh, some balance in their lives. We are going to take a break. And when we come back, we're going to carry on the conversation with Dr. Seth Kadish and Terry Jensen. We're talking about Pop Your Patterns, the no-nonsense way to change your life. To learn more about the work of Seth Kadish and Terry Jensen, please visit insightandwellness.com. On Facebook, that page is Pop Your Patterns. And I invite everybody to jump on over to YouTube and go to the Pop Your Patterns channel to get a taste of what we're talking about and a taste of the practice of these interventions, which we're going to actually speak more of and maybe even do a dialogue, hint, hint, when we return. Here comes the break. Who says money can't buy happiness? Whether you are a skeptic or seeker, check out Lisa's new book, Are we happy yet? Eight Keys to Unlocking a Joyful Life, a boot camp manual for greater emotional fitness, is available at Barnes & Noble, Amazon, IndieBound, and HarvestingHappiness.com. Here's a truth bomb. Emotions are contagious, and happiness is a universally desired state. But we tend to forget that we all have the freedom to be happy or the liberty to be miserable each day, regardless of external circumstances. Explore the journey of human happiness, how to find it and keep it, with Lisa's documentary film, H-Factor. Where is your heart? Visit HarvestingHappiness.com to learn more. If you're just joining us now, we're talking about the courage to change and breaking those destructive cycles that bind us. Let's return to the conversation with Dr. Seth Kadish and Terry Jensen, MFT. We're talking about popping patterns, what it really takes to change. So Seth and Terry, prior to the break, we identified the two of the three most common patterns, one being shame, two being people pleaser. And I would love for you to talk about the third. Well, the third one is suppression of thoughts and feelings, Lisa, which uh, again is quite common. And what it looks like is the person who has bottled up their anger, their sadness, and interestingly enough, 
uh, what comes up a lot, people have bottled up their joy. So yeah. they, they simply have suppressed their happiness. And clinically, that will manifest as depression and anxiety and all that. But in terms of pattern work, uh, we try to get in there and help the person normally, uh, in an appropriate way, release their emotions. Terry, can you talk a little bit about the YouTube channel and the videos that are on there and the tools and resources available? Sure. We just launched the um, channel in, I believe, September of 2019. And each, every other week, we show a different pattern. We give you helpful tools to work with the pattern to diminish it a bit. And also we do like fun improv engaging um, vignettes to kind of um, illuminate it in real time. Um, mm-hmm. and we just give a little history about where it originates and kind of the stuff we are talking about today. Each video is about 10 minutes long and the series just each week builds on different patterns. So mm-hmm. for those of us out there that have the attention span of a flea, <laughs> we, can, <Exactly. laughs> we can get a quick dose or a quick presentation of a skill that can help mm-hmm. us better negotiate our own relationship landscape. Mm-hmm. For free. Exactly. For free. For free. We've done worry. We've done negativity. Uh, what else? Spirit people pleasing. Oh, um, Control. Right. You know, all mm-hmm. the, again, shame is usually the foundation of all of these. And a lot of the skills you can use on different patterns. But we think we've also done, um, what's the other one we did? I think. Uh, monopolizing. 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 Ah. And, and the thing is, for people out there, Lisa, we, uh, we literally have tons of fun while we're doing it, besides being serious and disseminating information. So we get a little goofy and silly. And what we've done is we've cartoonized the scenarios. So it makes it visually interesting to watch as well. It's a little bit unique, I think. Well, I think what I love about your approach, not I think, I know what I love about your approach is the idea that you normalize all of the dysfunction that we have shame about, right? That you're saying right. this is part of the human experience, that we will go it's, through these kinds of situations with our loved ones or colleagues. It's very important. What we tell clients is, or we help them to not feel shame about shame, if that makes sense. Yes, it does. So, yeah. So just to neutrally look at what's going on with you almost scientifically, and then come up with ways to intervene. I always say that the hard part is not so much the identification or the intervention, it's the commitment, uh, as with sobriety, right? You can tell somebody don't drink and go to meetings, but for them to daily work on that and to attend the meetings, that that's the effort, but it pays off so beautifully when people stick with it. Well, you have to retrain yourself. It's like you're building new neural pathways to respond to a situation differently. And so to change, it takes actually a lot of work to fall into familiar patterns is easy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And this, right. this is where the mindfulness component is so valuable in this process of change and evolution and popping the pattern, right? Because once one has the awareness, then the choice, even of non-action or not to change, becomes a choice that we must take responsibility for. Yeah, it's yes. essential. It's mm-hmm. a, absolutely. You can't change it if you don't see it. So you're, you're presented with each moment of the day, an opportunity to do something differently. And so mindfulness is, is key to transformation. Mm-hmm. Um, let, let's go back for a second to shame 
and feeling shame about shame. And I'm, I'm a big fan of Brene Brown's work and she talks about the existence of shame is, is an, is a necessity in the human experience. Cause if we don't possess shame, that we're sort of out there on the fringe in sociopathy, right? Mm-hmm. Well, I think yes. everything in many doses is healthy. A little bit of anxiety to look both ways when we cross the yeah. street or provide for ourselves a little bit of healthy shame, you know, to kind of fit into society. It's when things are in extremes and they cause pain to ourselves and people around us. Same with like mental illness or anything. Everything is on a spectrum. So when something is too much or not serving you in an effective way, that's when you want to transform or change it. Mm-hmm. And you can recognize that too by the uh, by the incidents and the the repetition of events in your life because people don't always know that's what's going on with them. But if they're constantly self sabotaging, as a case in point, and have a little insight into that, then we can quickly recognize that shame is the underlying pattern and causing all of their distress and downfall. An example might be the man or woman who constantly is able to attract genuinely nice people into their lives and then constantly does stupid stuff that undermines the health of their relationship. You, you know, and it's so interesting, Lisa, because we as outsiders can spot it so readily within moments <laughs> and they just can't see it, you know. But but we all have our blind spots. And, uh, you know, I know that because I'm a married man, so I, I get to hear that all the time. You know, I got my blind spots. Of course. Uh, we, have, we have people close to us who, who will recognize in us what we can't see in ourselves. Even as the paid professional, even as the expert. I mean, this is the interesting thing about this work, right? That we're all in a living laboratory as we try to figure this out. Right. Right. And hopefully we have people around us, whether it's a spouse or a best friend, whoever it might be, that will gently and kindly point the pattern out to us. And, you know, help us uh, regain our lives or adjust our lives, have, have a better life. I think it's also important that, yes, if we look at the pattern within ourselves, then we can change. But because sometimes things are co-created, you can't control whether or not the other person's willing to, like, work on what's happening in the in the dynamic. And so what you can control is working on your own pattern. But sometimes when I work with couples, we can actually look at the co-creation and how people's patterns are not gelling well together. And that's another way to address pattern poppings. It's not always just one person. It's actually what happens when you're in a relationship. We're always different in each situation, but our pattern comes out in different, different um, ineffective ways or unhealthy ways. We, we might even think of it as lock and key. That pattern yes. fits so beautifully together in a very uh, sad way and in a, in a harmful way. And nonetheless, they do. So the people pleaser with uh, you had mentioned before about the different categories So just to kind of tie that in, the categories are domination, submission, defense, flight, and invisibility. So somebody who's more of a dominating controller fits so well with an accommodating people pleaser, as a case in point. So well, in an unhealthy well. In an unhealthy well. Yes, yes, yes. No, I I got that part. (laughs) (laughs) Just to be very clear. Yes, 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 yes. Well, it's it's the complementary neuroses. Right. Exactly. Okay, and, not, yeah. and not with a not with an I, with an E compliment. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Correct. Plural. Yes. Exactly. I would love for you guys to pick one of your favorite patterns that you work with and maybe give an example of um, the application of popping your patterns to that dynamic. In other words, role play a little. Improv. Yeah. Improv. You know, <laughs> 
Did you have something, Terry? Or well, I was thinking people pleasing is usually the easiest to kind of improvise, unless you had another idea. No, that that's perfect. You want me to be the pleaser or the uh, the the, uh, the other person? Sure, you can be the the pleaser. See how easily you just agreed to do that? <laughs> <laughs> oh, how revelatory! No, I'm just kidding. That happens. I'm, I'm raising my hand. You guys can't see it. To acknowledge, yes, it's a pattern. I yeah, me I definitely too. Struggle with that one. Yeah, me too. It, it is so common, isn't it, Lisa? Yes, yes. So, so Terry, why don't we do this? Why don't we uh, maybe repeat a little bit of what we've done on one of our videos? Where okay, sure. Going yeah. on vacation together. Okay. Is that good? Um, sure. Sounds okay. good. Okay. Uh, okay. Uh, so, Seth, I've planned a vacation for us. I'm thinking about Hawaii. Um, oh, that sounds that sound? great. Yeah, no, that sounds perfect. Hawaii is great. Hawaii is like west of in the Pacific, right? You got to yeah. take the plane over the ocean. It's a little scary. You know, I don't like plane rides, but uh, okay. Let's, sure, we'll go to Hawaii. <laughs> okay, perfect. How are you with shark diving? So I want to do shark some photography diving. of you underwater. You, you want me working. to dive underwater? Like, uh, what's it called? The snorkeling? Scuba? I've never done it. And sharks, no, no. This is you in a cage, and the sharks come by, and I film it or And you take it. pictures. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I can uh, – yeah, why not? Sure. I'm, uh, I'll, 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 I'll do that. Uh, okay. With, and I'll need with, to borrow what, a little money to get the vacation going. Can I borrow some money to pay for the airfare? And uh, how much are we talking about, Uh Terry, how much money? Like a grand or so, I guess. A grand or so. Uh, okay, I mean, I can borrow that for you. Sure, I'll, I'll okay. get that for you. Okay, yeah, perfect. Not, I, I, but one question again: sharks, like real sharks? <laughs> Cut. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> oh so my uh, we do that kind of thing, role playing, and yeah, a little silly. And we use humor and we exaggerate to bring a little yes, levity to I it. Get it. You have to, yeah. Yeah. The, and I yeah. think the exaggeration, when we see it in somebody else sort of playing out our story, we begin to see, oh, my, that that's me. I recognize Absolutely. myself in that. Right. You know? Right. Absolutely. We, Whenever you mm-hmm. see a more magnified version of something that speaks to you, then you can almost like almost slaps you in the face and makes you want to change it. And then like an intervention for this would basically just be what I said earlier in the podcast where um, Seth would kind of like stop and really think about what he wanted, say no and set good boundaries. So the whole thing would have a different outcome. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like he doesn't right. really want to fly over an ocean. He's not keen to put his head under the water and he doesn't have the resources to finance your fantasy, Terry. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. You don't want him to take on the other pattern of being too stubborn either. So yeah. we got to find balance. Yeah. Things about balance. Which is what we show in the video where we come up with a compromise where when Terry asked me what you'd like to do, I say, well, you know, I would enjoy this, that and the other thing. And so uh, it's a healthy balance of yes and no. But you did you did uh, touch on another, I think will be helpful to listeners, another intervention for the people pleasing pattern, which is to pause before you agree to any kind of major request. Simply pause and tell the person you'll get back to them later. At the very least, take a short delay. And I think, oh, Terry, yeah. you called it assertive delay. Assertive which I delay, a, just to buy good, yourself good time. Yeah. Let, let me yeah. think on that. Can I get back to you on that? Yeah, let, let <laughs> us know in a little while what you think of that. Yeah. <laughs> but go back to it. Don't then become the other pattern of avoidance, right? So we have yeah. to go back to whatever it is. We're just buying a little time to check in with ourselves. Which mm-hmm. also is uh, claiming responsibility, self-mastery. I mean, it's doing a whole host of other things that allow us to feel really good in our own skin. 
Yeah, I'll literally yes. have clients start with the simple as when you go to Starbucks, you get the wrong drink, work on just asking the barista to fix your drink or you get the wrong food in a restaurant. Just like starting with like almost like a hierarchy of what's difficult and different things are difficult for different people and the slowly build up to gain mastery and um, being more assertive. We are out of time. And I want to send the listeners over to YouTube to check out Pop Your Patterns, the, the video collection that is there and building every other week to learn more about the work of Dr. Seth Kadish and Terry Jensen. Please visit insightandwellness.com. Facebook page is Pop Your Patterns. That's pop hyphen your hyphen patterns. Terry and Seth, thanks for joining me. Thanks for hanging out, having fun with this. Thank you, Lisa. Thanks so much. So we much. really appreciate it. Thank oh, you. Oh, I appreciate Thank it. And I, and I think it's great for the listeners. You know, go, go home and practice on your partner. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> thanks for joining us on Harvesting Happiness. This is Lisa Cypress-Kamen and my guest today, Kendi Foster, Dr. Seth Kadish, and Terry Jensen, MFT, wishing you kind thoughts kinder words, and the kindest of actions. Until next time, remember, happiness is an inside job. Happiness is your inside job. Go out and rock your day and remember to stay safe. Keep harvesting your own happiness anytime and anywhere from the comfort of wherever you are. Subscribe, listen, and share hundreds of downloadable episodes via our free app or from our libraries at toginet.com, iTunes, Google Play, and other fine podcast platforms. To learn more about Lisa's global consulting services, please visit HarvestingHappiness.com. Spread more joy by liking us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness and following Lisa on Twitter at Lisa Kamen. Harvesting Happiness is produced in collaboration with TogiNet Radio, KBUURadioMalibu.net, and is available on PRX, the public radio exchange.